Good morning, Gold Avenue Church family and friends. This is Pastor Jalisa, and I'm hopeful that you all had a happy Thanksgiving. And I hope that you find yourselves with things to be thankful for, even in this unique and challenging year. This morning, I'm thankful that we get to continue on in our Advent series. I can't hardly believe that we are already at Advent, <laughs> but here we are. And we started our Advent series by grounding ourselves in this profound truth that no word of the Lord will ever fail. It's always been true and it always will be true. And last week, Pastor Gina launched us from that foundation into a series that focuses on who Jesus is. What does it mean to and for the world that Jesus came? And friends, I have to say that I love this series. And I think it's so good and so important for us to look at who Jesus is, to understand what it meant that he came for us and then he came for the world. Last week, we learned that Jesus is the son of God. Love came down to earth. And this week, we're looking at Jesus as our Lord. What does it mean that Jesus was called Lord? What is the impact of Jesus being Lord of all and Lord of all the earth and Lord of lords? And so before we dig in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we lift you high as Lord over all, Lord over us and Lord of lords. And Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray that wherever we are, that you would anoint the preaching of this word, Lord, that it would be empowered and that it would bear fruit. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would anoint our ears to hear and that you would bless us and equip us to respond and to be obedient. And Lord, that your word would be planted deep in us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. Last week we picked up in Luke 1. Today we're still in Luke 1 and we'll be reading verses 39 to 45. A little bit of context. Last week we read that Mary had just been met by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel had come to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to conceive a son who will be the son of God. And in response, Mary says these beautiful words. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And so we pick up at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child that you will bear. But why am I so favored? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the word Lord is sort of an antiquated or old term. It's not a word you hear every day except for in church context or in prayer. Or if you happen to be like me and you love British historical dramas. I really love British historical dramas. And one of my favorites is the classic masterpiece, Downton Abbey. And as I was pondering what the contents of this sermon about Jesus being Lord may include, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that the first thing I heard in my head was that of the butler Carson, the faithful butler of Downton Abbey, responding to his Lord and Lady Grantham with the words, my Lord. Now, if you haven't seen it, Downton Abbey is a show that starts in Edwardian era England and moves throughout history up into the 1920s. It's the story of the very wealthy aristocratic Crawley family who run a traditional estate that includes a village full of tenants and a basement full of servants. Throughout this series, there's this consistent tension between upstairs and downstairs, between the lords and ladies, the masters upstairs, and their servants who all live downstairs. Now, this butler, Mr. Carson, has been with the Crawley family for generations, and Carson is relentlessly loyal to his lord. Carson wholeheartedly believes in this class system where the lords and ladies provide housing and protection and food and care for their servants, while in response, servants work hard and submit their lives entirely to their lord and lady. But times are changing, and not all of the servants at Downton Abbey share Carson's romantic notions of servanthood and submission to the authority of the lord and lady. In the first few seasons, there's one particular chauffeur named Tom Branson, and Tom really struggles with this class structure and his role within it. Branson's from Ireland, and as such, he holds a soured view of authority structures and class structures. He labels himself a democratic socialist, and he longs for the day when each man can choose his own life and work towards whatever he wants. Tom longs for the day where he can be his own authority and where structures of class no longer hold any power over the world or how it turns. Where Carson trusts in his Lord in this system, Branson, even when compliant, is constantly rebelling and reeling against it. This is not a commentary on whether or not social structures and class structures are correct or holy. That's a conversation for another day. But what it boils down to is that there are really only two responses to authority or lordship, and each person's response has much to do with the trustworthiness of that authority and the humility of each individual. Now, in today's world, I think it's safe to say, at least in our culture, that most of the world would probably connect more with Branson than they would Carson. And as such, it's almost hard for us to fathom why Elizabeth, in our text for this morning, is so excited and elated that a Lord, her Lord, has come. This short interaction between two supernaturally pregnant women, 
the young Virgin Mary and her much older cousin Elizabeth seem sort of bizarre if we don't zoom out and look at the history or the context here. If we look back earlier in Luke 1, we can read that Elizabeth is married to the priest Zechariah. Now Luke notes that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous people who observe the Lord's commands. But Luke also notes that Zechariah and Elizabeth are childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now we don't know how old, but Luke says that they are very old, which would mean well past childbearing years. Now one day while Zechariah is at the temple doing his priestly duties, Gabriel, that same angel who came to Mary, comes to Zechariah and he says, listen, Zechariah, your wife, Elizabeth, she's going to get pregnant and the two of you will have a son and your son, who you are to call John, is going to prepare the world for their Lord. He's going to go before the Lord in spirit and in power. Now, like any sane, very old man, Zechariah is shocked. He says, wait a minute, Elizabeth and I, like, we're really old. How is this possible? And in response to Zechariah's doubt, the Lord caused him to not be able to speak until the baby, who we now know as John the Baptist, was born. Now, at the point of our story for this morning, poor Zachariah is still not speaking, and Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. And Elizabeth surely knows that God is up to something big. As a good, righteous Jew, Elizabeth's life is built around waiting for her Messiah, and she most certainly knows the promises and prophecies about that coming Messiah. Elizabeth knows that a virgin's going to give birth. She knows that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah and the line of David. She knows that one will go before, one will go before and prepare a way for the coming king. So Elizabeth may still not be certain about what's going on, but she probably already has a sense that the baby growing in her womb is history in the making. From where Zechariah and Elizabeth sit, they've been waiting for years. God has been seemingly silent to his people for centuries. God's people sit under the ownership of the Roman government and the people long for those prophecies, those ancient words to be fulfilled, for their Lord to come and to deliver them. And here Elizabeth is, a gray-haired woman with a six-month bump sitting at the table with her old husband, silent for six months, following a mysterious vision. And there's a knock at their door. It's Elizabeth's very young, engaged, but not yet married cousin, Mary, who happens to be engaged to Joseph, a man from the tribe of Judah and the line of David. And just in case Elizabeth still wasn't quite sure about what's happening, At Mary's greeting, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Without one word of explanation from Mary, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaims, Blessed are you among women and this child that you will bear. How is it that I'm so 
favored, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Blessed are you who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Two women on the fringes of society. One young, one old, one barren, one not yet married. And yet somehow, two babies who would change the course of history. And in that moment, they both knew it. God had chosen them to bring his son to the earth to usher in his rule and reign. How is it, Elizabeth exclaims, that I'm so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? I can't fathom the joy in this moment. After centuries of waiting and praying, centuries of war and tyranny, that small flicker of hope bursts into flame. The Lord, he's coming. The king who would sit on David's glorious throne. The one who would heal the brokenhearted and set the prisoners free. The one who would replace their ashes and shame with gladness and joy. The one who would pay the debt of their sins and rule and reign at God's right hand. The one who would establish his kingdom. He was coming. Elizabeth is filled with joy and hope. She's ready for her Lord. She knows who this Lord is and what he promises. She trusts him and she's desperate for his lordship over her and over the broken world around her. And as I sat in Elizabeth's joy, I found myself wondering, am I desperate for our Lord the way that Elizabeth was? And if I'm being honest, I'm not sure how I feel about lordship on any given day. I like the right to make my own choices about what my life looks like. And I can have a lot of confidence in men, in the world. Sometimes like so many around us, I can fall into that trap of thinking that if we only elect the right person or pass the right policies, if we all read this book or adopt that attitude or act a certain way, if we all wear the masks and stay home or if we just come together again, if I take that job or move to the right place, if I go here or do that or get this or give that, if the world would just operate the way that I think it should, everything will be good. Peace and joy and justice will reign over the earth. But behind all of these assertions is a sneaky, prideful, rebellious longing to be Lord over my own universe. And the reality is, none of it's true. Like Elizabeth and Mary and the generations before them longing for their king, the truth is, in the face of all that 2020 has brought about, we desperately need our Lord. The world, the word Lord has meant many things to many people over the years. 
the era of Downton Abbey and all the way back to the medieval feudal system, lord was a title ascribed to a wealthy landowner who was in possession of those within his land. A lord was second only to the king, and he was tasked with ruling over those he'd been put over. And while many did not execute their lordship with integrity, the expectation of a lord was to lead for the good of all society. A good lord was to take survey of what he had and who he had. He was supposed to divide out the work of raising crops, caring for animals, producing goods, and training soldiers. He ensured that his people were properly housed and clothed and fed, that they received medical care when needed and legal counsel when needed. A good lord even provided military support to farmers in order to defend crops and herds from robbers. A good lord was a wise provider and protector whose aim was for his people and his land to thrive. And a good lord was in personal relationship with each of his people. Now, if we dig into biblical history, the word Lord was found in the, the word Lord found in the New Testament is this Greek word, Kyrios. Kyrios can mean anything from a respectful title given to one who has possession or authority all the way up to that divine title given to the Holy One, the God of Israel. There's only one word for Lord in the Greek, but there are several in Hebrew. And the first time the word comes onto the scene is way back in Exodus 3. This is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Now the Lord spoke to Moses through a burning bush and told him to go to Pharaoh and to deliver the people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses responds by asking this God in the burning bush who he is. Who is it, shall I say, sent me? Moses asks. And the God in the burning bush responds by speaking one word. That translates as, I am and I will be. The way we say that in Hebrew is Yahweh. You've likely heard this word. Now, ancient Jews held this title of the Lord and this holy God, Yahweh, in such incredibly high esteem that they were afraid to even say it. The name of the God who is and who was and who would be was so holy that it was not to be used lightly. So instead, they said Adon or Adonai. Jewish scribes found a unique way to mark this in their scrolls. They took the consonants of the word Yahweh and replaced the vowel markers with the vowel markers of the word Adonai, so that as they read, the people would know that this, this word here is that holy name that we don't say, but we should say Adonai instead. But what that mashed up word looks like is Jehovah, or what we now say as Jehovah. So what this boils down to is that Lord, Kyrios, Jehovah, Adonai, Yahweh, all point to the God of the burning bush. The God who was, who is, and is to come. The faithful covenant God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of Moses and David, of the prophets and the generations of Israel. The Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who set apart his people for the salvation of the world. The Lord God Almighty is the one who sustained his people through famine and plague, through rulers and authorities, rising and falling empires, through war and disaster. The Lord God has sustained his holy people since the beginning of time. 
The Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, is the one who prophesied that he would come to earth to redeem his people once and for all, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to set the prisoners free, to reign in peace and joy and justice forever. This is the Lord who is just beginning to take form in Mary's womb when she came to Elizabeth that day. This is the Lord that the baby in Elizabeth's womb was created to prepare a way for little John leaping for joy already in the womb that his Lord had come to earth. This is the Lord who was so desperately needed at the time of his birth. And he is the Lord that we so desperately need now. A protector our provider, the one who sees and knows, the one who wants to be in relationship with us, the king who reigns with peace and joy and justice, and the one who reigns over our lives. This is the joy of Christmas. Friends, our Lord has come. His kingdom has come. Scripture tells us that he is the Lord of all the earth, that all authority in heaven and on earth is his, that he is the Lord of lords. He is worthy of our praise and worship. He is worthy of our gratitude and he is worthy of our humble submission to his word, to his will and to his ways. And so in this season of chaos and fear, of isolation and loneliness, of unmet expectations. We can stand firmly on the reality that our Lord has come. He's Lord over our earthly rulers. He is Lord over pandemics and natural disasters. He is Lord over economies and elections and empires. He is Lord over all, and he is a good Lord who draws near, who keeps his promises, and who is only ever always good. He is our Lord who came all those years ago and he is our Lord whose kingdom is slowly crashing into this world of chaos. He's the Lord who will come again and bring about complete justice and restoration. Now our passage for this morning was short, but it was rich. And I want to close on this last little nugget found in the last verse of our reading. After this holy moment of recognition between Mary and Elizabeth and John leaping in the womb, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now maybe it's because Mary can still speak, unlike Zechariah, or maybe it's the joy and hope in Mary's eyes, or maybe it's the spirit testifying through Elizabeth. We don't know how she knows, but Elizabeth knows that Mary believed what Gabriel said. She believed those promises in the Bible, in the word, and from Gabriel would be fulfilled. And there's something crucial about Mary's willingness to put her very life and her faith in the Lord's word, to have faith that the Lord would keep his promises and to submit to whatever they required of her. And with her humility and her faith, with the humility of Elizabeth, there comes great leaping joy. Friends, this 2020 Advent season, let us be like Mary and Elizabeth. Let's take God at his promises and be those who testify of his faithfulness to a world who needs it. 
Let us be those who usher in this kingdom that he began at his birth and let us be those who stand firm on the promise that he will come again. And let us respond with Mary. We are the Lord's servant. May your words to us be fulfilled. Hallelujah. Our Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Amen.